Thank you for listening to the South Metro Ministries podcast. We hope it's been a blessing to you wherever you are. For more information about South Metro Ministries, please visit smmcog.com. Father, we come into this setting this morning as imperfect people. You remind us in your word that all of us, every one of us has sinned. That we've all come short or we've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's not a perfect person. The only perfect person is Jesus. But what you did, Christ, on that cross covers a multitude of sins. Somebody say amen. So although we are not perfect, we are forgiven. Somebody shout hallelujah if you are forgiven. So often in our lives, the enemy would love to remind us of the mistakes that we make and the shortcomings that we have. But today, we stand in the grace of an almighty God that so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son so that whoever would believe in Him, they would not perish, but yet they would have everlasting life. Hallelujah. Thank you that this is not the only life that we live, but there is coming another life, and that life is eternal. But may we understand that the decisions we make here on earth will determine our destiny. And if we stand before an almighty God unclean, then we will not have access to the kingdom of God. So may this morning we get our lives right with you. May we quit playing games. May we stop playing church. And may we have a genuine encounter with the grace of God so that we can live in freedom. So that we can cast off our restraints. So that we don't have to be bound to addiction. So that we don't have to be caught up in any sin. So that through the grace of God, through the blood of Jesus, we can be forgiven. Forgiven. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Would you give the Lord the best round of applause that you've got? Come on, you can do better than that. This is Jesus we're talking about. If He's ever forgiven you of anything, would you let Him know how blessed you are by His grace and His mercy? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Do you feel His presence in this house? My God, we could stay right here. But I believe the Lord has a word just for you. Turn to three people and tell them, I am unclean. And then you may be seated in the house of the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. He is faithful. In the account... That I read to you a moment ago in Isaiah chapter 6. We understand that Isaiah is confronted by a vision of the Lord. He is literally standing before the Lord and he sees him in all of his purity and in all of his power. 
Isaiah is standing in the throne room of God and he sees the Lord in all of his holiness and all of his might. And then he realizes, compared to this powerful and perfect God, I am filthy. I'm dirty. I'm stained with sin or I'm tainted with sin. And in verse number 5, you see it on the screen, we see an admission of guilt. Isaiah says, for I am a man of unclean lips. He says, I'm unclean. Now, the question must be asked this morning, what right did Isaiah have to stand before such a perfect God while he himself was impure? What right did he have to stand before a perfect holy God when he himself was a sinner? What right did he have to stand before this perfect God when he himself was unclean? See, Isaiah knew that God, by his very nature, cannot tolerate sin. By his very nature, God cannot tolerate sin. God can't stand it. Sin is a mortal insult to God. Sin is a slap in the face to God's very character and being. Sin is a mark of a traitor. It's the sword in the hand of a fighter. It is the blood on the hands of a murderer. Sin represents everything that God wants to oppose and what he wants to destroy. Sin and God, they don't mix together. And yet Isaiah is given access into the throne of God. And yet in his life he is unclean. Isaiah knew there's absolutely no way that this God, because of his character and his being, can overlook the sin that I, being Isaiah, has now tracked into the throne room. There's no way that I can hide this sin any longer. There's no way that this sin that has been hidden in my heart can go unnoticed. But I love what Isaiah does. Isaiah does what we should do. He cries out. He cries out before this perfect God, confessing his wickedness, admitting all of his wrongs. And he does it without any excuses. You know... Um, you may be surprised by this, but I'm not a perfect person. Yeah, I know, Kimberly. You're like, really? It's true, honey. I probably make more mistakes than many of you combined. Most of my struggles are not social sins or moral issues, but I'm very, very, very competitive. Incredibly competitive. It doesn't matter if we're at a church golf tournament. It doesn't matter if we're playing Monopoly as a family. I am in it to win it. Anybody with me? Kimberly will say to me when I'm hanging out with Lakeland, our three-year-old son, you know, Daddy, you need to let him win. <laughs> Come on. Letting him win does not build character. No, no, no. Oh, and that competitive spirit will come out in ways that I find myself later having to go back and apologize for the sin that's in my life. I know that you're probably thinking, wow, how does he have any right to stand behind a pulpit and preach the word of God? It's the same right that you had to sit in that seat and sit in the presence of God. 
See, we're not perfect people. Now, we put on this fake smile and we walk around as if everything is okay. But I oftentimes find myself, when I make mistakes, I start making excuses. Instead of confessing my sin and confessing my wrongdoing, I start pointing the finger and justifying my behavior. But not Isaiah. He doesn't try to bargain with God. He doesn't try to plead for a lesser sentence. He doesn't make any excuses. When Isaiah gets in the presence of God, he does one thing and one thing alone. He cries out in confession. Woe is me, for I am unclean. I'm not perfect, God. I don't have it altogether. And then you see later on in the sixth verse that a live burning piece of coal was picked up from the altar with tongs by the seraphim angels and it was used to touch the lips of Isaiah. And this live burning piece of coal symbolized both the purification through the blood of Jesus and it symbolized the fire of the Holy Spirit. The fire of of the Holy Ghost. The fact that a burning piece of coal was used in Isaiah 6 reminds us that all sin, every bit of sin is forgiven simply because of a sacrifice. What happened on that altar in Isaiah chapter 6 is it directly points to what Jesus Christ did on the cross. All sin is forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross. When I make mistakes, my sin is covered by the blood. You know, the blood of Jesus covers everything. It covers it all. It covers your mess-ups, your shortcomings, your temper, your pride, your arrogance, that secret hidden sin. The blood of Jesus covers everything, but done except one thing. There's one thing that I have found that the blood of Jesus cannot cover, and that's our excuses. When we begin to make excuses as to why we did this, or why we did that, or why we are unclean, we literally handcuff God's hands from forgiving us. The blood of Jesus can't cover our excuses. So here's the point to this whole message. The only way, it's the bottom line. The only way that you can be cleansed is to confess your sins. The only way that you can go from being unclean to clean is by confessing your sins. Proverbs chapter 28 verse number 13 says this, that he who conceals his sins, meaning he who lives with secrets, they don't prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces. I love that word because the word renounce means to abandon. Whoever abandons their sin, what do they find? Mercy. The psalmist David wrote in Psalm 32 verse number 15, oh what joy for those who rebellion is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. Now watch this admission from the psalmist David, a murderer, an adulterer, 
And he says this, when I refused to confess my sin, I was weak and miserable. I groaned and moaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline, the conviction through the Holy Spirit was on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. So finally, I gave in. Finally, I quit pretending. Finally, I confessed all of my sins to you and stopped trying to hide them. And I said to myself, I'll confess my rebellion to the Lord. And you forgave me all, A-L-L, all of my guilt is gone. Let, let me be very real with us this morning, okay? So many of us are stuck at a particular place. We're stuck at a particular position in our spiritual lives. Because we are too proud to admit that we have sin in our life and sin in our heart. We're not going anywhere in our walk with Jesus. And it's not because He doesn't want to take us anywhere, but it's because we aren't willing to confess with our mouth that we make mistakes. We allow the sin of pride to get in the way. And literally a wall is keeping us from pushing forward in the things of God. When you refuse to confess your sin, you become just like David, both weak and miserable. I have been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. My life has been weak and Miserable and all day long I groaned and complained simply because there was unconfessed sin in my life. Here's what you need to do. And it's such a relevant point in my life as well. We as individual followers of Jesus must start practicing the spiritual discipline of confession. This spiritual discipline of confession has to be more than just when we get together on our weekly worship services on Wednesday night and Sundays. But confession has to become a part of our daily routine. You think you don't go a day without making some mistake? I believe that we can live this sin-free life through the power of the Holy Spirit. But oftentimes, the, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life outweighs the power of the Holy Spirit that's inside of us. And we make mistakes. You can't go from Sunday to Sunday without asking God not to forgive you in between. I don't believe in this nonsense, this uh, non-biblical theology that you're once saved, always saved. I don't, the Bible tells us to take up our cross daily. If you want to live in that life, well, I got saved when I was four and everything will be just fine, then that's between you and God. But for me, I'm not going to take that risk. I'd much rather have a daily personal walk with Jesus. Fall on my knees. Ask God to forgive me. Allow Him to wash me clean and make me new on a daily basis than to die in my sin, stand before God and say, Lord, please make sure that this is going to be all right. Every day we must practice this discipline of confession. Not just confession every once in a while, but confession every single day. 1 John 1 verses 8 and 9 says this, that if we say we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves, refusing to accept the truth. 
But if we confess our sins to him, I love this beautiful picture. He is faithful and he is just to forgive us and to what? Cleanse us from every single wrong. If you will be real with God, if I'll be transparent before God, then we get to enjoy the promise of 1 John 1. That when we confess, He is both faithful and He is just to forgive us. You know, God is a whole lot quicker to forgive you than others are quick to forgive you. God is a whole lot quicker to forgive you than you are quick to forgive you. But I have learned that if He can forgive me of all of my wrongs, then surely I can learn to forgive myself and I can also learn to forgive other people. Can I get a witness? Somebody help me out. God wants to forgive you. That is why he sent us his son. Uh, Earlier this week, uh, at the end of last week, Kimberly and I went to the dentist. I hate going to the dentist. Anybody with me? I just get, you know. And um, I'm embarrassed of my teeth. I am. I don't have, now I've got straight teeth, never wore braces, but my teeth aren't as pearly white as many of you. And every time I go to the dentist, they always ask, you know, uh, now I've been there a few times, so they know my head, do you, do you smoke? No, I don't smoke. You know, do you drink coffee? Yes, I'm addicted to coffee, you know. <laughs> and so the dental hygienist sat down and I told her, I said, I'm so embarrassed of my teeth. I wish that, you know, they were so white that when I opened my mouth, you know, people just, the bright light just hit them and they fell out in the Shekinah glory of God. <laughs> and she looked at my teeth and she said, you just have a lot of stain. And this is what she said, I'll get most of that stain off. And I sat there in the chair, and I know it's a weird place, but hey, when the Lord speaks, He speaks. And I thought, how very similar is that to sin? When we sin, we stain our lives. Now, there are things we can do to remove some of that stain. But the only way to remove all of the stain is through confessing our sins that Jesus is Lord. And He is Lord. The only way that you can allow that stain to be removed is if you are real with God, confess your sins, and be made whole. If you refuse to confess those sins, the stain in your life that has been developed by the sin that you have committed, it will remain and you'll live a life that is both weak and miserable. I love this. To confess our sins is to be real about God. Or to confess our faith, rather, is to be real and honest about God. But to confess our sin is to tell the truth about us. Uh, One of the greatest challenges uh, in my life as a Christian is when I do something wrong towards Kimberly and have to apologize. I should learn after eight years of being married that mama is always right. Yeah, you shouldn't be laughing, Eddie. I talked to your wife this week. I always allow that pride to get in the way. And when we get into our debates, I'm going to prove my point. And I won't back down. 
I'll keep prodding. I'll keep going until I get, get her right where I want her. And then I'll walk off and, you know, and she's all like upset at me. And I think she's going to sign a divorce. But she ain't going nowhere. But, you know, I'm. <laughs> and then what always happens? Kevin, you know better than I do. We have to go right back and tell the truth about us. You know, we do a great job of confessing our faith in God. He's an awesome God. He's a powerful God. We do a great job of telling friends and family about the God that we serve. But what about telling the truth about you? When's the last time you took off the mask and you revealed the real you to say, I'm not a perfect person. I I make mistakes. See, confession always begins with self-examination. Isaiah got into the throne of God and he said, you know what? This is about me, the sin in my life. I am unclean. Confession and self-examination, they go hand in hand. And we must ask God to search us and to know us and to find any fault within us. That is the very promise of 1 John 1, 9 that we just read. If we confess, He will forgive. If we confess, He will forgive. However, the problem is one word, and the word is pride. We're too proud to admit when we're wrong. Can I share with you one more story? Uh, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament comes out of Second Kings chapter 5. It's about another man who was labeled unclean. If you have your scripture, you can go to Second Kings chapter 5. If not, you'll see the one verse on the screen. It's about a man whose name was Naaman. In the very first verse, the Bible says this. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man. In the sight of his master, he was highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given him victory over Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. For time's sake, let me show you this quickly. In this one verse, you can see at the very top, Naaman had a position of power. He was a powerful man. He was placed in the highest position. In that first verse, it said that Naaman was captain or commander of this elite army. That means that he was the general of the Syrian army. He was second in command only to the king that he take orders. He was a man of great power. He was a man of great authority. He was a man in an incredible position. God had elevated him to the highest platform in the land. Not only did he have power and position, but if you read on in verse number 1, you see that Naaman also achieved popularity and prestige. In this next verse, you see that he was a great man in the sight of his master, and he was highly regarded. Naaman was a popular war icon, a national hero. Naaman was the one who was victorious over the enemies of the nation of, of Aram. The Bible tells us that Naaman, on his head, were the crowns of victory. On his chest were the medals of honor and valor. 
Not only did Naaman have a powerful position, but he was popular and he was placed in a prestigious platform. But it is the final four words of verse number one that really get my attention. Because despite his popularity, despite his power, despite his his prestige and his platform, Naaman had a problem. But he had leprosy. Leprosy was one of the most dreaded diseases of ancient times. It was an infectious disease. Leprosy is characterized by disfiguring skin sores. An incredible odor or aroma that was not pleasing to the nostrils of anyone. Leprosy caused nerve damage and progressive debilitation, meaning loss of energy. The Greek word is lepra, L-E-P-R-A, which means to peel off in scales. Victims of this infectious disease, they saw portions of their bodies become numb. They watched muscles completely waste away. Their hands and their feet would begin to contract, almost turning into the claw of an animal. They would lose function and mobility. And after a while, this leprosy would result in the loss of Eventually, the whole hand or an entire foot, it would fall off bit by bit until one day it was gone altogether. He's got power. He's got a platform. He's got popularity. But he has a problem. And the problem is leprosy. See, leprosy is significant in the Bible for multiple reasons, but two that I want to share. Uh, Those who were diagnosed with this disease, were considered unclean. And so everywhere they went, they would have to announce their coming. Unclean! Unclean! They were isolated from society. They were cast out, asked to live outside of the city. They were required to wear from head to foot black, including a jacket and a hood. Naaman! The greatest commander in all of the land had a problem. And the problem was leprosy. Unclean. Unclean. Also significantly in the Bible about leprosy is the fact that it is a picture or a portrait of sin. In biblical times, leprosy would show the spiritual condition of the person. We have Naaman who achieves everything that so many of us want to accomplish. Climb the ladder in the corporate world so that we can become a success. Become filthy rich so that we can bless our families and our individual lives. Become popular so that people can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. And yet, none of that matters if you are a sinner. You know, I I thought about this earlier, but make all the money that you want to make. Work overtime. Get double the pay. 
If you've got to sacrifice your family in order to get a little bit more money at the end of the month, that's up to you. You, you do it if you need to. Make all the cash that you think is required to live a happy life. Drive the nicest cars. I want you to drive the nicest car. Go down to the lot. Pick it out and pay for it in 10 years if needed, if that's what you want to do. Go into the fanciest neighborhood in Noonan or Sharpsburg. Pick out the nicest house on the lot. Go down to rooms to go and pick out all the furniture that you can afford to put on your credit card. Wear the most expensive clothes and dine at the finest of restaurants. But you hear these words. Those things mean nothing. If you are a sinner, when you stand before God on your day of judgment, He won't ask you what kind of home you lived in. He won't ask what kind of car you drive or clothes that you wear. The Bible tells us in Mark chapter 8, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Get all the popularity and power and prestige that you need. But if you have a problem and that problem is sin, the words that you will hear if that sin goes unconfessed is, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. For I never even knew you. But what I want to hear is well done. Well done. Going on, we've got to hurry. Verse number 10 of 2 Kings 5 says this. Elisha sent a messenger to him to say, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry. I thought that he would surely say to me, come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord as God. Wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned off in a rage. Naaman goes looking for a miracle. The prophet Elisha says, go to the Jordan, dip yourself seven times, and be cleansed. And Naaman gets angry. He's angry at what he has to do. He didn't want to do anything. You know what Naaman wanted? Naaman, and this is nothing against this man's ministry, but Naaman wanted a Benny Hinn experience. You're done. Next. No, no, no. The Bible says faith without works is dead. Sometimes when you have to confess your sins, you've got to look like a fool. Naaman didn't want to humble himself, swallow his pride and dip in the dirtiest river. He wanted God to use the prophet to wave his hand over him and said, okay, now you're healed. Now you're cleansed. Not only was he angry at what he has to do, but how he has to do it in the Jordan Naaman says, I've got rivers where I come from, Abana and Farpar, and they're much cleaner waters than the polluted, muddy Jordan River. He's mad at not only what he has to do and how he has to do it, that he has to swallow his pride, but where it has to be done. Naaman hears these instructions and he says, this is ridiculous and foolish, and he walks off. Watch verse 13. But Naaman's servants, 
They said to him, my father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed. Let me tell you, this verse right here proves the importance of having the right people in your life. You need people, adults. You need people, students, in your life that will tell you when you're living in sin and not according to the word of God. Wouldn't you have done it, Naaman, if he told you to do something great? This is so small. The people in your life, they matter. You need people that will push you towards the cross, not pull you away from it. And then in verse number 14, this is what he does. So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and he became clean like that of a young boy. He realizes that God's way is the only way. In that moment, he realizes that God's way is the only way. You know what I thought about today? That the fact is this. We have altar calls in church. They're not scriptural. Find the altar call in the Bible. I don't think it's there. Right? You can get the camera ready. The repentance of sin, prayer, it's not in the Bible. But we do that to prompt you in your walk with Jesus. The Bible says this, work out your own salvation. I'm not against altar calls. I'm going to do one today. I'm not about against the sinner's prayer. We'll do that today. But there comes a moment where there is no time for an altar call. There is no time for the preacher to lead you in a sinner's prayer. You've got to go home, clothe yourself in a closet, fall on your knees, confess your sin, and walk cleansed. Walk clean. Walk in freedom. You want to move forward in your walk with Jesus? Then dip and be cleansed. Dip and be cleansed. They instruct Naaman. A little colder next time. This thing's on fire right now. This water's so hot. It's the Holy Ghost. Instruct Naaman. Go to the Jordan. Wash and be clean. Here's the thing. I'm going to give you an opportunity for an invitation in just a moment. And some of you will sit there because you're too proud. I can't get up. I work at the church. I can't get up. I work at a school and people who work at the school, I can't get up. My husband is here or my friends that I invited are here. Those people are important, aren't they? But they're not God. They're not who you'll answer to when you stand before your creator. Wash and be cleansed. Naaman's attention is got by his servants and he makes his way down to the river. A great crowd has gathered to watch this man of power and popularity and prestige look like a fool. And what did they say? Dip seven times. Naaman goes down to the river. People are looking. If you drop the mic, Eddie, it's going to electrocute me, okay? Naaman, angry 
mad, frustrated, takes one deep breath. This is ridiculous. I'm the commander in chief. I'm the leader of this land. Why didn't he just wave his hand over me? But God didn't say one time to get his miracle. Seven times. The crowd probably begins to laugh. Look at this fool. Once in the highest position and now on his knees in a dirty creek. Naaman probably embarrassed because now everybody knows. He may have done a good job hiding the leprosy by the clothes that he wore, but now he was completely exposed. Some of you will be exposed in just a moment, but don't let the opinions of others keep you from the promise of Jesus. I told the prophet there were cleaner waters. Look at me. I'm filthy. I'm disgusting. I'm dirty. But God said seven. Through the prophet, seven times, and you'll be clean. This may be my favorite dip of the seven. Because on this fourth time, he's halfway to his miracle. No turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. I want to be clean. I want to be clean. Touch my body, God. It has nothing to do with what's on the outside, but condition of my heart. I want to be clean. I don't want to live in sin any longer. I want to experience your grace and your mercy. I've got nothing to lose. I've gained it all, all earthly possessions, and none of it has made me happy. I've got nothing to lose but everything to gain. This is the moment the whispers in the crowd got a little louder, and the people begin to gossip. Will God do what he said he would do? The number seven represents completion or perfection. This isn't in the Bible, but I believe that it doesn't take the story out of theological context. I believe that God told Naaman to dip himself seven times because he wanted him to be made completely perfect. No more half-heartedness. 
you want to be committed as a follower of Jesus, then you've got to do something you've never done. Church, on this last time that I go under this water, when I come up out, if there is any sin in your life, you want to flood these altars in a moment. Not caring what people say, not caring what they think. So often in the church, and I'm guilty of it even with our youth, we tell people to bow their heads and close their eyes because we don't want them to be embarrassed. When Christ was crucified on the cross, He did it publicly. You must make a public confession, a public declaration of your faith. This is your moment to experience freedom. When I come up out of the water, here's what I want to do. The altar team and prayer team is already coming if they would. I want every person under the sound of my voice to stand to your feet. And if you need God to forgive you of your sins, you get to this altar and find a prayer partner. They're going to pray for you in church. They're going to lead you in two choruses. One chorus is for every single one of us to do a time of self-reflection, self-examination. The second worship psalm they'll sing is an opportunity for us to distribute the elements of communion. I'm going to go dry off. I'll come back and I'll lead us in communion together. We can't participate in communion with sin in our lives anyway. That's why we rearrange this service. When I come up out of this water, if you need to be cleansed, if you're tired of living unclean, you've got unconfessed sin in your life from years ago or from yesterday, get out of your chair. Walk to this altar. Be cleansed and walk in the freedom of the God who created you in His image. You ought to move. You ought to move. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit smmcog.com.